What's going on, everybody? It's that time again. The All Sooners Podcast, episode 164 on this Wednesday, December 7th, 2022. Josh Callow in Oklahoma City, John Hoover in Tulsa, Ryan Chapman in Moore. It's transfer portal season. It's insanity. It's chaos. Literally, we start recording the show and somebody else hits the portal. So who's trying to... You're, you're working, but also doing the pot. You're double... You're, you're very... You're dynamic. Well, I don't know about dynamic. Uh, <laughs> the, the podcast season uh, is uh, taking a second backseat to uh, the portal season. It is a portal palooza here on the. <laughs> it's the all portal all the time season here on the Gosh. all season podcast. I wonder if uh, college programs with all the Xboxes and stuff they've got around, if they've had to remove the game Portal and Portal Two from the offerings just to to not have any other extra subconscious like oh god oh god oh god portal everywhere the number of guys in the transfer portal i, I should have looked for start recording what the actual total is up to but it it's insane i mean the, the number of not just Oklahoma, i'm just incollegeable in general i mean it is it's it's insane and you know the reality of the, of the situation here is that a, a a good sized chunk of the guys who enter the portal aren't going to end up anywhere, <laughs> aren't going to end up, or at the very least, they're not going to end up in a situation as good as the one they just left. Um, it's a little bit of a mess. Um, it is what it is. It's college football in 2022 slash 2023, and uh, everybody's kind of uh, having to adapt on the fly, including us, because we, we talked about on the show last week, that Wednesday show um, right after the season ended. It's kind of quiet. Hadn't really been a lot. Now Oklahoma is one of the, the top teams in terms of number of guys who have hit the portal, and we'll uh, digest all of that. But it, it's certainly been a, a pretty wild last week or so. Yeah, you better you better know what you're doing if you're going to enter the portal because um, J.R. Sandlin put this number out last week. Um, guys who the last first three years of the portal action, about 40%, right, right at about 40%, um, land somewhere else with a scholarship. Um, and that's not always, you know, uh, comparing apples to apples. Sometimes you leave a power five and land in a group of five. Sometimes you leave a group of five and you land in FCS, you know, sometimes you leave an FCS and you land division two. So, um, the 40% thing, meaning, um, 60%, 40% of those guys are not landing anywhere, which is just mind blowing. So 60% are getting in something, but it's not always the same. Very few. And that's the thing about athletics, guys, especially high level athletes like this. Every one of them, every one of them that has gotten in the portal this year thinks, oh, but I'm that guy. You know, I know the numbers. I know what the history says. I know the first three years, but that was them. I'm me and I'm going to land. the. I'm going to get on a national championship. I'm going to make a big run. I'm going to have it be a first round draft pick. It's really kind of um, it's really kind of disturbing how few guys actually improve their lot. Uh, in the transfer portal so far. Yeah. And one of the interesting things though, for us covering a spot like Oklahoma is that um, if you look the last couple of years, most of those guys that enter the portal do end up finding a spot. Really Harrington is the one that stood out as a guy that, that stepped away entered the portal ended back up on Oklahoma's roster, obviously. Cause if you look at um, like that number's not wrong, but if you look at uh, Max Olson went through and, and 85% of FBS scholarship players, so players that were on scholarship at an FBS school when they entered the portal, 85% of those guys found a landing spot. So just kind of interesting to see 
what that looks like as far as, you know, when you get into walk-on numbers and, and things like that of guys maybe trying to leave bigger programs just to find any kind of light. But yeah. um, it, like, like we've said, there have been a couple that y- you look at and, you know, the high-profile quarterback transfers, that all happens. And, and it looks like more than anything, the younger guys from Oklahoma that transferred out last year for other reasons, they found a spot. But outside of that, you get mixed reviews with with Rattler. Austin Stogner's already in the portal again. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, I don't know if anyone considers that a big success. So maybe you're looking at Charleston Rambo as one of the the older guys for Oklahoma that's portaled and, and had success, I guess. But but for the most part, it's just those younger guys that um, either get homesick or have a big coaching change and head out west. Yeah, no, it, it's it's crazy, and um, we've given up with as much as we can. Obviously, I, I joked about it, but Josh Ellison hopped in the portal literally as we sat down to start recording. No time is really safe uh, right now, <laughs> but um, we'll have a story on that on allcenters.com soon. By the time we listen to this podcast, it'll be there, and uh, we'll react to all the portals in the next segment, which has been kind of a, a, a very mixed bag for Oklahoma. A lot of guys who – as Brent Venables put himself, haven't really contributed on the field much at all. And we'll, we'll dive into that a lot here in the next segment. Let's start off, though. We know our bowl, the Cheez-It Bowl, Oklahoma-Florida State on December 29th. It's a 4.30 Central time kick, 5.30 for us who actually you know will be there in Orlando Eastern um, at Camping World Stadium. The Knolls are number 13 in the playoff rankings. They're a good team. They have nine wins. Oklahoma just 6-6. Six and six. But they jumped over three or, I guess, maybe even four, depending on how you look at it, other Big 12 teams to get into the Cheez-It Bowl, which made other Big 12 teams very upset, especially Texas Tech fans who felt like they had a right to be in the Cheez-It Bowl, which they do. I mean, but that's not how it works, as we've talked about many times on this show. Cheez-It takes what they want, and they took Oklahoma. So it's going to be the Sooners and the Seminoles for the, I think, seventh time uh, ever. Maybe it's eighth. I think it might be 6-1 OU in the all-time series. I'll check that in a second. In Orlando, Florida, later this month, we're all going to be there making the trip. I mean, this seems like a matchup on paper, and we'll di- we have plenty of time to dive into it. But just initial thoughts: Florida State is good. Uh, this is a scary game for Oklahoma, especially with the opt outs. We're going to talk about in just a second. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think Florida State has just a ton of like elite NFL talent. But if you look at the All ACC teams, they put three eight guys on the first three teams, first, second, third team, yeah. All ACC. They had seven other guys who were honorable mention. All ACC, so they've got some talent up and down the roster. Their quarterback, their running back, and their wide receiver are all second-team ACC. It's an incredible dynamic trio that they've got there offensively, especially. And uh, then they've got some serious playmakers, uh, NFL-type guys on the defensive line and linebacker, uh, one at safety as well. So they do have a ton of talent. Mike Norvell's done an unbelievable job being patient. And Brent Venables mentioned this on Sunday in the, on the bowl call. Uh, the, the conference call, the Zoom we had with the coaches. He just built it the right way. He's been patient. You know, he hasn't panicked, uh, didn't make a bowl game, losing record first two seasons. They've not made a bowl three out of their last four years since Jimbo left with the Christmas tree on the curb. Mike Norvell, year three, they're nine and three. They opened up the season with four straight wins. Then they lost three in a row in the middle of the season to some pretty good teams. Go back and look at the at the teams that they lost to. And then they, since then, they've won five in a row. They're going into this thing on an absolute heater. So one of the most streaky teams in the country, you could say, at nine and three. And yeah. um, I'm telling you guys, I'm telling you, matchup, especially when you start throwing in portal and depth and opt-outs for guys who are going to the NFL from Oklahoma's roster. So far, Florida State 
is very minimal. They haven't had any opt-outs so far, and three guys have hit the portal. All three were kind of rotational guys on the defense, two on the line and one linebacker. Oklahoma's had guys jumping out of the portal. They're up to 13 now. I think Ellison makes it 13. And of those, not a ton of them are playing a bunch, but there's a bunch of guys who are playing a little bit, a bunch of guys who are adding depth. So um, that's something that uh, just uh, doesn't look like a good matchup for Oklahoma on the surface. Yeah, I, I think the matchup is more made worse by Oklahoma's NFL departures than their transfer portal departures. When you look at Anton Harrison and Wanya Morris, both of those guys um, not going to give it a go. So Tyler Guyton, we've seen some Tyler Guyton obviously started the season with them. Wanya Morris didn't make the uh, wasn't able to get out there against Texas Tech. So it's not like a total welcome to college football moment. But on the other side, we assume it'll be Jacob Sexton. That's who we've seen in bit part duty for Harrison. Welcome to college football. You're going to have Gerard Verse, who's got seven and a half sacks and all the athleticism you'd want. You've got Peyton on the other side of that defensive line. So it's not just like a uh, they can mix and match those guys. And that's going to be tough for Oklahoma, that that offensive line, because the tackles have been the strength of that unit. Um, We've talked a ton about guard center guards where you could kind of attack that Oklahoma offensive line. And oh, by the way, Andrew Rame, um, you know, he obviously had that surgery, missed the Texas Tech game. We assume he's just getting ready for the offseason. So for me, that's what I'm looking at. And then on the other side, I mean, Jordan Travis, if you haven't been watching him, the quarterback, he's a ton of fun that, that Florida State has. And oh, yeah, Oklahoma struggled with guys that can move a little bit. Travis can can move around a little bit. So you're going to have to stay in those rush lanes. One, one more Big game week of stay in the rush lanes. Can Oklahoma find a way to, to keep the quarterback in the pocket? Oklahoma fans, if you haven't been tired of that conversation this year already, well, I've got bad news for you. We're going to have it all over again here as we march toward Orlando. Yeah, Florida State, I got as, as a seven and a half point favorite right now. Um, that'll, we'll, we'll adjust that as it gets closer, of course. We'll, we'll re examine that. But, this is a game that, you know, Florida State, like I said, they're 13 in the playoff rankings. They lost three close competitive games in a row to start October. Wake Forest, NC State, and Clemson. And then after that, they won five straight to end their season. Like who said, streaking, one of the hotter teams, lots of positive vibes around that program. And then obviously, I mean, the the obvious, the, the game's in Orlando. It's like a few hours away from Tallahassee. We don't know how many Oklahoma fans are going to travel. Oklahoma fans generally travel pretty well. Um, but they are six and six. It is Orlando, Florida, right after Christmas. I mean, it's not the most it's not the most obvious bowl trip for an OU fan. And you know, Oklahoma historically has owned Florida State. So the Seminoles have an opportunity here and their fans to take over this bowl and to kind of jump on an OU team that's wounded, you know, and is going to be missing some of their best players. So um it, it's uh it's dangerous. I mean, we'll see what happens when we get there. But early thought was this is not this is, I mean, we th- were thinking they'll play a six and six Arkansas. They'll play, you know, somebody like that, somebody pretty manageable. Maybe it was six and six Wisconsin in the guaranteed rate bowl, like Oklahoma State is. But no, they they end up drawing a top fifteen team. The plus side of being Oklahoma, you get into a bowl you didn't deserve. The downside, you're playing a team that you you probably should be playing a lesser competition team than you're getting. So we'll see how that shakes out when we get there. What do you guys think of the the fact that the Oklahoma did? jump so many big 12 teams because that was a thing this week you know texas tech especially being uh, upset with that uh baylor has certainly been upset with that they got shafted worse of anybody because they're going to be in the armed forces bowl they're playing their bowl game 
in their biggest rival stadium against Air Force. That's a rough spot to be in if you're Baylor. Do they have a legitimate gripe or it's just kind of, hey, that that's life. That's reality when you're the smaller fish in your in your conference. Both. They have a le- they have a legitimate gripe uh, against the Big Twelve for not enforcing these suggestions of who's supposed to take who. They have a legitimate gripe, but at the same time, that's the way it is. Um, right. Oklahoma's got that massive brand and Oklahoma's got the pedigree and all the bowl appearances and all the history and, and everybody who picks a bowl game wants somebody in their bowl game like Oklahoma. That's just the way it is. Um, a lot of people are going to watch this game on TV from Norman and from Oklahoma city and from Dallas, you know, sooner fans, not a lot of people are going to go. Um, there's going to be some who go from who live in Florida or live in Georgia, you know, live in that area who are going to, Hey, let's go down and watch the bowl game. That'll be cool. That'll be nice. But I don't think a whole lot of people are traveling from Oklahoma or their homes here in, in Oklahoma or Texas or wherever uh, to Florida to watch this game. This team right. six and six, they're a hard watch. They are a hard watch. I mean, it's for the fan base. We, you know, you, you guys saw the, uh, the story I did. Um, was it Sunday, Monday morning, I think, uh, crowdsourcing what, what the Sooner Nation expects from this game. Are they going to go? A lot of people are disillusioned right now with this team. One guy actually said, I'm more excited for this year to be over than I am to watch this team play one more game. So that's a little bit. Now that's one guy, but I think he speaks for a lot of people. I think this, this season has taken a toll on the fan base. And let me just go down Homer Road here for just a second. Let's remember one thing. Oklahoma was within one score in four different games. They had an opportunity defensively, especially to get off the field four times with, with a chance to go win the game and they couldn't do it either time. So yeah, they're six and six because that's what their record says they are, but they were so close to being 10 and two, 10 and two. This is incredible. I'm not sitting here saying they're 10 and two and they're going to win this game. They're six and six for a reason, but man, they're close on a lot of these games. I know you guys hate that word, but it is what it is. I, for one, am glad that they weren't able to get off the field in Morgantown because I didn't need that thing being extended by 30 more minutes of real time with the conditions <laughs> and the cold. But no, um, I, I saw a thread on Twitter that came out from talking to the Texas Tech players and staff about how outside of a, a couple of guys who are from Florida – that team was really excited and they had really thought they'd put themselves in a position to get to go to Orlando because they wanted to go on the, the bowl excursions to Disney and things like that. So I thought that was a pretty um, raw, but interesting window into, we all talk about that the bowl games are meaningless and stuff like that. But for a lot of programs in the country, that old cliche about the bowl trip being a reward is still true. Oklahoma's not one of those programs. Ain't nobody excited on this team to, to go to Disney when their expectations coming into the season, uh, whether they were grounded in reality or not, are this is supposed to be a team that competes for the college football playoff. So um, on one hand, yes, I do absolutely understand the, the gripes and complaints because why have a bowl order hierarchy if you're not going to try and have some sort of semblance of Hey, the number one team record-wise should probably be the number one team that you pick. And the number two team record-wise should probably be the number two team that you pick. But yeah, like like we've said, I see it from the bowl perspective too of the bowls are just trying to make money pretty much. It's an exhibition game. And you know what's going to be really fun for the bowl to do? To dig into the archives and find some footage of 
the 2000 national championship game to, to turn the clock back to 2011 with Landry Jones going in uh, to Tallahassee and, and stuff like that. And the fact of the matter is no one wants to get in the archives for any Baylor games or any Texas tech games because they haven't been any good across their entire history. That's just college right. football. Yeah. And I don't know if the bulls are trying to make money so much as they're just trying to keep the lights on some of these bulls, some of them. Sure. Anyway, I don't Gotta know if the cheese bowl qualifies. Got to break even at least. At least break even, at least be able to, you know, give back to the community, which the Florida Citrus Sports is unbelievable at doing that in, in Orlando and Jacksonville and all those counties in in that area. They do a great job. The Bulls are great. The Bulls are wonderful. The Bulls give back to the community. The Bulls take a, a, a lot of money out of the, uh, the the till, so to speak, and pay the people on the staff and, and all that stuff. We've seen Death to the BCS. We've read the book. We've, we've seen the movie, right? So we don't have to go into that, but the Bulls are what they are, and I think they're a fantastic reward. I've told you guys before, and don't talk to anybody else on the beat, on the OU beat, about this, because they'll all lie to you. They'll all lie to you. I have (laughs) never, guys, had a bad bowl trip. I've been to some really crappy bowls, and I've seen some really crappy games, and media relations staff doesn't know what they're doing. They don't, they're telling me, they're asking me what, now what's a beat writer. I don't understand what you're saying. Uh, it's, it's been a, there's been times when I've just been like, what am I doing here? Every bowl I've been to every bowl since I've been going to bowl since 1997, every one of them has been a good time for me and, or my family or the guys, guys and girls that I'm hanging out with, uh, in the media course. So don't believe the, uh, the, the hate coming out of, uh, San Diego and Orlando. And last time they went to Orlando, guys, I bought a three-day Disney pass or a, a Universal Studios pass, rode a bunch of rides on my off days, which there are no off days, of course, but, you know, you squeeze it in when you can. I love the Bulls. I'll be watching Me too. All, pretty much all of Bull Mania. I love all the just two crappy teams playing in Mobile, Alabama. Yeah. I love it, and I'll watch it all. And it is, you know, you referenced the last time they were in Orlando. What a, like, a poetic like full circle type of thing that they're back it's a different name than it was then but it's the same bowl and at the last time they were here 2014 oklahoma rolled in there and got shellacked by brent venables and clemson which sparked the lincoln riley hiring it's it's kind of funny that you know we sit here it it it's almost perfect that they're back in this bowl this season the first year after lincoln riley with brent venables back the lincoln riley tenure is bookended on either side with, with appearances in this bowl. And, of course, the last time was Brent Venables doing the whooping. Now he's going to be trying to avoid it this time around. It's kind of uh, kind of wild how that all worked out. But we'll see how it shakes out. Like Ryan referenced, we have four opt-outs as of now. It could change, I guess, but you would think that if you haven't opted out by now that you're probably playing. But the four we know now are Eric Gray, Anton Harrison, Wanye Morris, and Jalen Redmond. Brent Venables confirmed that those four guys will not play. Makes sense. They're all going to the NFL. They're all playing in the senior bowl. They all have other things to focus on. Eric Gray, especially, what does he have to gain from risking playing in this game? He had a great season. He laid it all out there, you know, and now he'll look ahead. Same thing for all those guys. So I guess the the noteworthy part of it is, is we still haven't heard. I mean, Marvin Mims and Braden Willis both said they were going to play. They've, they've backed that up. And we don't have any news one way or the other on Dylan Gabriel, who obviously was very weird and noncommittal after the Texas Tech game. He did pump his, what was it, like a clothing line-ish day, scared everybody for about 30 seconds because he just put out that big, long statement. But it was actually just 
uh, you know, pumping his his uh, his line there. But yeah, those four guys are opting out. Obviously, all very noteworthy, and we'll see how Oklahoma can try to make up for them being gone. Yeah, consider for a second, you guys, that um, they're losing their right tackle, they're losing their left tackle, and they're losing their starting running back. That's kind of what the Oklahoma offense was. That's the yeah. one thing you could count on was uh, semi-quality pass blocking from your from your edge guys. Uh, both guys, both Wanya Morris and Anton Harrison, you look at their pro football focus grades, they both graded high as pass blockers. Uh, and then in the run game, they didn't grade high as run blockers, but you've got Eric Gray back there, who's the highest graded sooner, I think, on the season or second maybe on the season. Um, 1,300 yards. I thought he was going to come back and get a, try to go for something like 1,500 if he could or something like that, but that's probably a pipe dream. He's so good. Uh, he's had such a good season that uh, he, he has to strike while the iron's hot in terms of the NFL earning potential because running backs don't last for long in the National Football League. You know, you've already taken on a lot of carries as, in college. So I think all three of those guys will have a real shot. Uh, Jalen Redman also, you, you wonder about him. Uh, just being able to stay healthy and, and produce for an NFL team on a consistent basis. Um, you'd like to see him have, have that success because he's such a good guy. So uh, It's been so much fun to get to know guys like that you know, over the past three or four years, um, 2020 excluded, I guess we didn't get to know anybody in 2020 on the zooms <laughs> and all, but, uh, yeah, it was, um, I think it's a big, it's a big step for the Oklahoma program. And we saw it last year when guys opted out of that bowl game of the Alamo and people like, uh, you know, uh, who, who was the wide receiver that stepped up for a huge bowl game. He used that as a springboard for 2022. Uh, so maybe somebody, maybe there's two or three guys who can do that for, for the Sooners this year, have a good bowl game and, and establish themselves and really impress the coaching staff and, and get their foot in the door, so to speak. Yeah, I was just about to say that Farouk was kind of the breakout star last year because you had so many portal opt-out, all that stuff in the wide receiving course. So now you're looking at, I, I don't know if, Javante Barnes goes out there and has a good game. If that qualifies as a breakout, as a guy that had really come on strong as the number two running back or not. Um, so it was interesting to see, does a guy like Gavin Sawchuk, who can still play in a game and maintain a red shirt, do, do we finally get to see him get unwrapped a little bit? Because when you look elsewhere, some of the other, uh, more obvious spots, like you mentioned, we've seen Guyton play. So it'll be our first big um, body of work from a, from a Jacob Sexton at left tackle. But, Theo Weiss in the wide receiving core is the only guy that's going to be out. He's someone that had kind of been phased out anyway. So unless they they just start on the coaching staff rotating a lot of the younger guys in and let them play a lot more, knowing that they need to start building that up, it'll just be interesting to see. It, it feels like while there's a lot of guys in the portal, because they're all depth guys that didn't really factor in, th there's no real obvious candidate of like, hey, throw all the wide receivers in a bag and shake it up and see what happens like last year with the Alamo Bowl. Yeah, we'll see how it shakes out. Certainly, um, we talked about it a lot. Eric Gray was kind of the offense uh, for for portions of this season, and like we've said, you lose both your tackles. I mean, it's going to be some challenges. And as Brent Venables, you know, said jokingly, but not really, that <laughs> these guys are going to get baptized quickly. Uh, these younger guys, especially on the line, um, you're going to throw, you're going to toss them to the fire. So we'll see how that shakes out. They have time to figure it out. You have three weeks, um, three weeks from tomorrow, actually, before that game. So got a little bit of time. Get the extra practices, and we'll. We'll see what happens. And, um, you know, Oklahoma did a good job responding last year in the bowl game. 
little different situation because he did have a Caleb Williams running the show. And also Oregon had a ton of opt-outs on their own. Like we said, Florida State hasn't really been hit too hard just yet, if it's going to happen at all. So we'll see how that shakes out. But uh, it's going to be interesting to see what kind of product Oklahoma can put out there without, I mean, obviously if they're opting out, some of their best players. Plenty of opportunity for some reverse passes to your quarterback, though. Yeah, get, let's get the Bev Dog Show going. Why not? Why not? <laughs> uh, hopefully, Dylan can stay healthy uh, this time. He's had he's had a tough year. He's taking some shots this year. I see the concussion, getting smoked against Tech. He, he's taking a bit of a beating at times this year. We'll see if he can get in and out of Orlando. Still feeling good going to next year. All right, we'll take a timeout. We'll come back. Portal season, like we said, lots of you guys in the portal. We'll react to it next up. Also, coaching staff right now. Nothing has happened at all. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit as well next in the All Sooners podcast. All right, you guys have heard me talk about this before. I'll talk about it again. Our friends at Trade Pros developed the all-star service program for homeowners and business owners that demand the absolute best from their HVAC systems. Sign up now for the all-star service agreement, 25 bucks a month, and the guys at Trade Pros are going to come out two times a year for routine maintenance. Plus, you get two pounds of Freon every year at no charge. And get this, if your heating or air unit needs work, it's not going to cost you anything if the repair is under $500. If it's more than $500, your cost comes in at just 25% of the Trade Pro's price. Routine maintenance includes changing and cleaning the air filters, carbon monoxide check, thermostat check, safety switches, inspect pilot assembly, check fan motor, refrigerant check charge, all kinds of stuff. Listen, just call Trade Pro's 405 639 9991 or check out their website tradeprosokc.com on twitter you can follow all sooners at all underscore sooners ryan's at underscore ryan chapman who's at john e hoover i'm at josh m calloway our website is allsooners.com we are a fan nation affiliate part of the sports illustrated Network. All right. Transfer Palooza portal season is upon us. Like we said at the beginning of the show, just a load of guys have entered the portal, not just for Oklahoma, but just across college football. Um, it's really been, it's been insane. Um, and team guys are going to try and find their new teams here soon. We'll talk about the Oklahoma guys here in this second segment. Before we get into the whole group, let's start with the big name, the obvious one. Theo Weiss enters the portal, which is kind of expected. Um, had a disappointing season, um, did Theo. You know, he obviously entered the portal last year after Lincoln left, or actually before Lincoln left. And then after Lincoln left, he decided to come back and play for Oklahoma. People thought he's going to have this big year, and he just ne- it never really happened. He did have his biggest game in his last game for against Texas Tech. It seemed like maybe he turned a bit of a corner there, um, but we won't get to see him again. He's in the portal looking for a new home. So Theo Weiss kind of officially closes the chapter, uh, barring an Austin Stockner return, I guess, on the class of Rattler, Bridges, that whole group that didn't end up panning out into anything. Um, but there you have it. So Theo Weiss into the transfer portal. Yeah. Did we talk about this last week? Theo Weiss, uh, Jaden Hazelwood, Trajan Bridges, Austin Stogner, uh, Spencer Rattler, three, four, star, four, four, star, four, five stars and a four star. And uh, not one of them, well, I, I, we can't really say not one of them is going to finish their career at Oklahoma because there's every possibility that uh, he's in the transfer portal right now. Austin Stogner actually could finish his career at Oklahoma, That's which is 
Would he be the yeah. first guy to jump out, play a season, and jump all the way back to where he started? That would be weird, but Do, possible. Um, anyway, Theo Weiss, yeah. um, a thousand yards receiving, just at a thousand yards for his career. Ten touchdowns. He had two hundred yard games, and both of them were in Lubbock, Texas. So how about that? Uh, did not live up to that billing. Had some really, really good moments. Had some great moments in twenty twenty against Texas. Um, obviously two times at Texas tech, he had that big game breaker to help the comeback, uh, down in Waco. So a very, uh, popular guy, a guy who, uh, was always super great to the media. Um, it's just unfortunate that, you know, he had that basically a year and a half he missed with injury from the foot slash ankle slash bone slash whatever that was, um, too bad that he missed as much time as he did because I really always I was always one of those guys that was gonna that was thinking this is the year for Theo Weiss he's gonna he's gonna break out this is he and he just never did nineteen catches this year um, third on the team was just not uh, not consistent enough yeah not not unexpected which uh, we kind of talked about before but he's a guy that um, after Texas really it, it seemed like Oklahoma settled in. V- very much to just a Farouk, Drake Stoops, Marvin Mims is their wide receivers. And then they that let them get Braden Willis on the field, Eric Gray, all, all that stuff. And so not a ton of opportunity there for him. I think also just by way of Drake Stoops was open more this year than, than he got the football. Theo Weiss was open more this year when he was on the field than he got the football. And I think that's just a con of, of Dylan Gabriel not really – uh, exploiting over the middle of the field. So whether that's a scheme thing, whether that's just Dylan Gabriel short and, and struggled to see that, whatever that was, it just didn't work out for him. And and as a result, you saw the ball get funneled to the perimeter, which allowed Marvin Mims and Jalil Farouk to have the seasons that they had. So for Theo East, a guy that it's pretty clear, I, I don't think he has 100% of the explosion that we saw in a fleeting moment in Waco in 2019 in that second half, right? Uh, but he's shown that he can still go out there and like against Texas Tech that he was schemed up to be wide open, able to catch the football, all that stuff. So I'm fascinated to see just for Theo what his next step looks like, because a little bit of change of scenery probably would would do wonders for him just because I'm not sure that his skill set's going to be best used next year in this offense with the same quarterback anyway. Yeah, so Theo Weiss, uh, like we talked about last week, he was reported to be in the portal Hadn't officially announced that there was some kind of confusion because he went on uh, with Eichert and Lehman, you know, kind of said he was undecided still, but then he did come out early this week and confirm he is going to the portal. So we'll see where he winds up uh, in due time. And also we'll let you know on allsinners.com whenever he makes his announcement. Also last week we talked about Jordan Mukes being to the portal. So Mukes joins Weiss uh, last week. In addition to, here's this hodgepodge list of guys who are, who are currently in the portal for Oklahoma. Joshua Eaton. Kendall Dennis, Alton Tarver, quarterbacks Ralph Rucker and Nick Evers, Bryson Washington, Bray Walker, Clayton Smith, Brian Darby, Cedric Roberts, and then today, Josh Ellison. I think that's everybody. Um, like I said, a very hodgepodge group. Um, who, if your question to Brent, created one of the funnier things Brent said all year where he just flatly said these guys didn't contribute on the field in any way, I think was how he phrased it. Um, and he's not wrong. I mean, outside of Theo Weiss, who was a receiver who had moments this year and obviously had lots of talent and all, all the stuff we just said, this is a big group of guys who was, 
you're, you're trimming the fat a little bit here for Oklahoma. These are a lot of guys who are not probably ever going to see the field for you. Uh, at least that's how it feels for me. Is that how it feels for you guys? A hundred percent, especially when Brent couches or, or introduces his answer with, uh, and he think he answered it to a previous question with, uh, Hey, we had our exit interviews, right? And, and basically I talked to every one of these guys. Uh, I'm excited about the guys who are not jumping in the portal. The guys who are going to get on that plane, uh, on December, whatever, 25th, 26th, and go to uh, Orlando. He's excited about those guys. And so I asked him, how do you replace that depth? Those guys, those practice guys that uh, have been with, a lot of them have been with the program for one year, two years, some of them three years, four years, uh, some of them, one of them, two of them, I think five years. These are guys that are looking for opportunities. These are guys that are looking for playing time somewhere. Uh, they may or may not get it, but at least they're giving it a shot. You got to admire that. Um, some young guys that are surprising, I think, that didn't really play this year. For instance, Jordan Mukes is a guy that when we looked at the, his snap count for the year, he got one snap and it was on special teams. It's like, what? What? Is that right? So, yeah, I mean, a young guy that uh, in his second year, first year with the, second year with the team, first year with the new head coaching staff, um, just never found a niche, just never found a, a place to to, you know, use his talents. Uh, I don't know if it was a, a scholastic thing where how fast can you pick up the new play calls and the new, the new defense, the new scheme, the new system. I don't know. We don't know, but um, guys are jumping in the portal because it's just looks like the, a better, better situation for them than being at Oklahoma and not playing. Yeah. We talked a lot last off season about, it was no secret. Everyone knows that the scheme that Alex Grinch wanted to run and the, the guys that he intentionally recruited, the undersized guys, all that stuff is not what Brent Venables wants to run, right? And so I think that with um, a lot of this, you're seeing, okay, here are the guys in the secondary that they may have had the height and speed that Alex Grinch required when he was recruiting recruit uh, recruiting guys. And after working with the, the staff for a year, Brent Venables and those guys have determined you need something different to, to come play with this group. So Brent Venables didn't seem too concerned about it at all. If anything, it opens up more roster spots to either a go out and sign guys in this year's recruiting class that, that Oklahoma feels meets what, what they want to do as Brent Venables kind of alluded to the fact that um, this year is one of those last years that, that there's not limits anymore and that it'll kind of come back to normalcy what we've been used to as far as signing 25 guys, stuff like that. Or, Oklahoma appears, it sounds like if you listen to Britt Venable's last coaching show um, last week, sounds like that uh, while they don't want to live in the portal still, they may be more aggressive in finding guys that they think can actually come in and play because that's something that he talked about that maybe they could have done differently last offseason. So clearing up those spots to go from guys that are just scout team guys to someone that has a chance to compete and actually get on the field is nothing but a good thing for Oklahoma, even if there's maybe some sticker shock when you just look at the number of guys in the portal. But like we said, once you come down and start reading through it, you're like, oh, and Theo East is the only guy they're actually going to miss. Yeah, no, agree completely. This is this is a good thing for Oklahoma. And um, like I said earlier, you know, there's not many, but there are some fans who are kind of panicking a little bit with, you know, my gosh, look at the number of guys who are leaving. Is, uh, is, is it not working with Brent Venables? Of course, nationally, people just look at the number and are making fun of Oklahoma. This is a good thing because all these guys who are leaving, and you never know. I mean, these younger guys, you know, I'm not going to project what a younger guy could become. You know, that's not really fair after one season or even two necessarily. But 
for the most part, the vast majority of this group was doing nothing for you and probably would never do anything for you. Uh, Oklahoma needs to kind of completely reinvent and overhaul their roster. You can't do that if you just bring everybody back. I mean, that's that's what we talked about all season, basically, was that this was going to happen. And so makes complete sense um, for for all parties, <laughs> for, for these guys and for Oklahoma to kind of – I mean, I, I assume Oklahoma probably nudged a decent amount of these guys, kind of saying, right, go ahead, you know, it, it, it's probably not the worst thing. You know, and I, I think probably the big one that, for obvious reasons, just because it's quarterback that people jump at is Nick Evers. Yeah. And the reality there is Dylan Gabriel's back. Then you have Jack Snarnold there. I mean, when was Nick Evers going to get into the fold? I don't I don't see when that would ever happen or why it would happen, I, I should say. So, yeah. um, just there's just no, again, not, not to disparage these guys as football players or what they could become if they're a younger guy, but there's just no real losses here. Um, there's no guy that's like, ooh, that's a tough one to lose. None of the, I don't feel that way about any of these. You're right, Josh. Um, as with as for Evers, uh, he's a guy that you got to admire what he did. You know, he was committed to Florida. They had a coaching change. He decommitted. Oklahoma had a coaching change. He committed to Oklahoma. He's from nearby. He's from the region. That's cool. You know, uh, he gets to be at a school where he's you know his parents and family, friends, whatever, can come up and watch him pretty easily. That's cool. But just the timing of it. He knew last year when he signed and he told me, he said he didn't know for sure what Jackson Arnold was. I don't think any of us did quite at that, at that moment, but he said he's, he's not afraid of the competition, but at the same time he was willing to come in and wait, uh, play behind some guys, red shirt if he had to, you know, and he did that. And so he did exactly what he said he was willing to do. Um, Did he get a fair shot? No course not he's a true freshman you know and he's he's 175 pounds right maybe soaking wet i don't know um his, i think one of his bios says 190 but i don't i'm not sure i believe that but he's he's done everything he's been asked to do he bought in you know he he joined the team he bought in he worked hard kept his head down did everything he was supposed to do and then decided when it wasn't working for him or when he saw how good Jackson Arnold was, maybe, maybe he did some, you know, deep dive film study and stuff like that. Maybe Dylan Gabriel told him, uh, my plan is to be here two more years. You know, maybe he just, I don't think there's like a, this giant conspiracy theory that oh, Nick Evers got pissed off and he's leaving. He didn't get a fair shake and he only got to throw one pass against Texas and he's mad. I don't think that's the case at all. I think that's totally mm-hmm. mischaracterizing who Nick Evers is and what he stands for. Yeah, if you just look at it, I mean, we've talked about this before, um, and I'm team, these kids aren't dumb. Like, they, they can look around and read the room a little bit. It Just take Nick Evers out of it, but if you were, say you were recruiting a transfer portal quarterback right now, it's like a, a graduate transfer just to come in for a year, and they're looking down the roster, and they're going to see that you've got Dylan Gabriel, You've got Jackson Arnold, who's a five-star, who won the Elite 11 Finals MVP, who's absolutely just putting together a fun, awesome highlight tape on Twitter every single week in the Texas high school playoffs, not just the regular season, we're in the playoffs too. And then you got Davis Bevel. Who in their right mind is going to sign up to come and compete to be the fourth string guy, right? So when you look at in that own roster, if Nick Evers, who's a really yeah. young guy who, who just redshirted, right, his freshman year, is he going to sign himself up to be probably at best the fourth string guy or the third string guy, sorry, at best this next year, or if he has aspirations to play, 
Is he going to go and try and find somewhere where he can play? If I wanted to play, I'd go somewhere else. Totally fine. Um, gave it a go and uh, haven't heard anything like negative behind the scenes. If anyone was a problem or anything like that, it was just a, uh, this just makes sense. And it, there's only one quarterback that can play unless you're at Kansas. And uh, only one guy plays at any given time. And so that's why like 70 quarterbacks hit the portal of the 700 kids in there. <laughs> yeah. The most simple way to put it for me with, with Evers, he's not ready to play. He's a little way away from that. And by the time he is, Jackson Arnold's right there. I mean, that's just simple, simple as that. Uh, Ryan, how disappointed are you, though, that the Rucker Park era is over? Uh, <laughs> that's a big was- loss for you. I was crushed. Um, I I've had the Rucker Park meme folder on my laptop for two seasons now. It is well, hold gotten, on to it. He may break in somewhere else. Yeah, it's gotten absolutely no use. So what I'm thinking about doing is when he announces a landing spot, I'm going to be furiously reaching out to beat reporters who seem cool based only off <laughs> of their Twitter and say, "I have this meme folder of Rucker Park. Would you like it?" Because uh, I, I'm I'm gutted that our guy Ralph isn't uh, isn't going to be around any longer. That's a good point. You could probably sell it to him. <laughs> NF- I'm going to sell the NFT meme folder. Yes, if it's clever. I want to talk real quick, guys, about Bray Walker too. Here's a guy that yeah. he's been here five years. He came in as a five star. Every time you see him standing with his teammates out on the sideline or in the huddle, you're like, why is that dude not playing more? The biggest man in the world is what he looks like. He looks like Paul Bunyan compared to his teammates. Um, and you're just wondering what's going on there. Why isn't he playing more? He entered the transfer portal this year. And like I said, he's been here four years, five years, uh, whatever it is. He's going to have an, an additional year of eligibility. He wants to find somewhere where he can get his hand in the dirt, get off, fire off the football and hit somebody. Uh, just wasn't in Oklahoma for whatever reason, uh, for whatever number of reasons it was. It didn't work out for him. But former five-star guy, man, and and he was a guy that every year – Somebody would say, "Why isn't he playing this year? Why isn't he in the two deep? Why isn't he on the rot or uh, in the in the starting 11? I would have moved him. I would have asked him early on in his career, and if he would have said no, I would have said please. And if he would have said no, I would have said let's try it anyway. I would have tried. I would have moved him to defense. So go out there and, and hit somebody. Get that guy that's standing in front of you that's that's down in his three point stance. Get him out of there so somebody else can come in and make a tackle for loss." I'd love to see that dude in the trenches. He's so big. He's got to be a just a house wrecker when he gets in there. Yeah, interesting to see what his next step is, just because every time he played at Oklahoma, he looked like he was playing in quicksand, frankly, yeah. which I don't know if that's uh, thinking too much, lost confidence, something like that. So a change of scenery, I'm, I'm fascinated to see where he lands and what that could mean. Yep. 100%. 100%. And, uh, yeah, I mean, the – Last takeaway for me, just secondary, obviously, is the big one. Um, lots of secondary guys. Josh Eaton, who we always talk about, along with Mukes, Kendall Dennis, and uh, Bryson Washington. I don't know if that's just – because the secondary, like we said before, was one of the bright spots of the season. I mean, Jay Valai did a pretty good job. You know, CJ Colton, what he came on, you know, things like that. So, curious to see how Oklahoma kind of moves forward there because you just got way thinner just in terms of number of bodies in your in your secondary when you lose that many. Uh, we'll see how they uh, approach that. If they look to add in the transfer portal in that area, I'm sure they will um, here in the next couple of weeks or so. Um, and we'll let you know, obviously, keep up with to find out where all these guys go, where, where they'll land, where the new team is, and then who Oklahoma brings in. They're already in the mix for some pretty big fish. So whatever we find out, we'll let you guys know, allsterns.com, 
Um, expect um, it's been all negative so far, pretty much for Oklahoma. The positive is coming though. They're the the additions will be on the way very very soon. Uh, last thing in this segment before we turn over to uh, the final segment to get to some NFL stuff and, and basketball and other things. Are you guys surprised there's been nothing on the coaching front? I mean, it's been really quiet and nothing reported. Obviously, nothing has been officially announced by the team. Um, obviously, the, the the biggest speculation of all was would Ted Roof be retained or not? As obviously, as of now, he's out recruiting. He's back. Um, wide receivers coach, are they going to hire one? Are they going to keep with the Damian Washington? Same thing. He's out recruiting, seeming to be that guy. Are you as surprised that they haven't done anything yet? Or do you think that after the bowl, maybe we'll see some stuff? It's kind of um, – I, I honestly thought we'd have some movement on that front by now, and it, it hasn't happened. Yeah. Um, no, I'm not surprised, and we won't have any movement until after the bowl game. There, there may be some movement. I expect there will be some minimal stuff happen uh, on the bowl, on the uh, coaching staff, but it won't be until after the bowl. Um, they're they're going to try and – that's my guess anyway. I don't have any sit, – not sitting here breaking any news or anything, but um, I do think it'll be after the bowl game. Brent wants kind of a that bowl game to be the clean break from the previous season. So um, all you Levy haters and Roof haters and all that, you're going to have to wait <laughs> until after December 29th. Uh, for me, at the very least, get through early signing day was was more of my thing. Of, of This is the staff that's been working on all these recruits all season long. Um, it's a huge gamble to do anything with your staffing before signing day. And then if you just think about like the one that they absolutely have to, to fill, frankly, that the Ted roof conversation, whatever way it goes, I'm not sure it's a a healthy conversation right now, but like the wide receiver coach. Okay. Lydia Washington on staff right now as the interim at the very least, they're going to want to interview Malcolm Kelly. And that's not going to happen until after the college football playoff is done. So I don't expect moving on that. Even if they say, you know what? Washington, you're our guy. We're going to promote you uh, I, to do the interviews and to do the due diligence and all that stuff uh, for a wide receiver coach. That's going to have to happen after the college football playoff, even to do the interview process. It's a good point. It's a good point. So yeah, we'll see um, how that shakes out. Uh, it does seem like, like who said that certainly at this point, if they haven't done anything now, nothing's been announced. I don't know why it would happen before the bowl now, you know, at the very least. So We'll, uh, we'll keep an eye on that in due time. Um, I agree with Ryan, too, that yeah. it's all based on recruiting. Re- Ted Roof's been recruiting these guys. They're not going to send him packing or demote him or whatever and, and until uh, all those dudes are signed on December 21st. Um, quick question. Did we talk about Jacob Lacey on the last podcast? We did. Yeah. Okay. So when you said – the reason I ask is when you said it's pretty much all negative, there was a positive one. Um and the Stogner thing may yet happen. Not not go not reporting anything just yet, but uh, there's there's some. You're right. There's some positives coming in the uh, portal situation. Um, you, you guys expect anybody else to opt out? At this point, no. Um, I, I mean, I guess if there's another, I, we did just get Ellison today. You know what I mean? That that hit the portal, but it feels like those exit meetings have happened like Brent Venable said. So uh, I imagine the process for a lot of those players is talk to your family, talk to your circle about what you want, go into that exit meeting, and then you come back and have a second conversation of either, yes, what I was feeling was reinforced by the coaching staff, or maybe they said this and that, and you have a little bit of time. But uh, that's why I think the portal window was 
offset that extra week to get through conference championship week so that everyone that's not planned for one can have those conversations. And uh, by now, I feel like most of those decisions are made. It's just a matter of how do you want to announce it? Yeah, and they don't. The NFL deadline's not till January seventeenth. They don't have to decide yeah. if they're um, leaving next year until December seventeenth. Uh, I'm sorry, January seventeenth. But in terms of bowl opt outs, I guess the Senior Bowl could come back, and and you know if guys haven't accepted the invitation or if somebody's hurt, maybe they come back and and kind of backfill the situation where they ask one more player and he opts out of the bowl game at the last minute. That's that's always a consideration. It's always still on the table, I think. For sure. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, you would think, I mean, before the bowl, I would have said, or before the season finale, I should say, I would have thought for sure Marvin Mims is going to opt out. But, yeah. you know, he said he wasn't going to. And, you know, there's been some whispers of maybe him considering coming back to Oklahoma. That would really surprise me. Um, but we'll see. That's that's the biggest one for, for me as far as interest is is Marvin Mims going to be. Because if he did, that's a huge win for Oklahoma, obviously. Massive. Um, I don't expect it, but uh, we'll see. And then as far as portals, you know, I mean, hard to say. The obvious one to me would maybe be Jaden Gibson because if you guys remember that Nick Evers and Jaden Gibson were kind of looked at as a package deal whenever they committed. Now, that doesn't always translate. Obviously, Julio Farouk didn't follow Caleb Williams' USC, but – you would think there would at least be possible. So I don't know. That That's one that I'm keeping an eye on as far as the portals go. But we'll see. Um, like we said, no huge names other than Theo Weiss so far for Oklahoma. Um, we'll see if they can keep it that way before the bowl comes around. All right, we'll take a timeout. We'll come back. We'll dive into uh, Baker Mayfield has a new team. We'll talk about that a little bit, who who likes it. And uh, we'll also get some basketball talk in there as well. Uh, both teams picking up wins the last uh, couple of days. We'll talk about that next here to wrap up the All Sooners podcast. Hey, are you a business owner looking to get your product out there to the masses? Let's say you run a hotel in Norman or a car dealership in Oklahoma City or a restaurant in Edmond, or maybe you're a small online business who creates and sells OU merchandise and you just want Sooner Nation to come sample your wares. Well, then consider advertising in this space right here on the SI Sooners podcast. SI Sooners reaches thousands of readers, viewers, and listeners literally every day. And the SI Sooners podcast is the ideal place to find your next customer. To advertise, send an email to allsoonerssi at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter at all underscore Sooners. Final segment of the All Sooners podcast, episode 164. Send you in your way. We're going to get to Baker in a minute. Who's chomping at the bit? He changed the wrong <laughs> hat and everything. We'll get to that in just a second. First, we'll talk about OU legacy. Kaysen Calamus commits to Oklahoma, son of Rocky. He's going to be a, a PWO pickup for Oklahoma. Um, I put together a high school tape of him out there in uh, Tennessee. He's one of those guys who just kind of does everything in high school. They give him the ball. He plays back. He sacks the quarterback. He intercepts passes. He'll go catch a deep ball on like a go route. He's just one of those do-everything do guys in high school. This is cool just from a – even removing what he actually does Oklahoma. Just cool to anytime you get the son of a great Oklahoma player come in. Obviously, who you know Rocky a lot better than than uh, Ryan and I ever ever will. Um, Got to be kind of cool to, you know, for, for you as well, the fact that you're going <laughs> to – cover case and calamus here in uh in the near future too just shows how old i've gotten <laughs> covering two generations of college football players now Kaysen is uh is not like his dad his dad is six four 
six three maybe played at um, two twenty five to two thirty five two forty sometimes. His dad was just a wrecking machine out there on the field. Uh, Kaysen is uh, 5'11", 192, uh, according to his bio. Um, plays, like you said, all over the field. But just watch him. Watch his highlights. He is a baller. He plays everywhere, and he does everything, and he does it all at a high level. So who knows where it's gonna? he's going to end up playing, what position, probably a, like a safety, maybe a, a nickel hybrid kind of thing. Uh, doubtful that he plays much linebacker at 5'11". Um, but at 192, maybe puts on 25 pounds, 20, 25 pounds. He's up to 210, 215. He can play that nickel kind of slot corner linebacker um, in run situations. Who knows? Who knows? But uh, Brent Venables could not wait to give one of his all-time favorite guys, Rocky Kalmus, his son, a preferred walk-on offer. That's really cool. Yeah, when you watch his highlight tape, he's clearly just like a football guy, which to me says that at the worst, he's going to be a pain in the ass on the scout team to to go up against. And, and that's the kind of guys you need, right? The ones that are um, bought into like, hey, I don't have really the measurables that you would expect to be a starter at Oklahoma. And, and so if he carves out a role, that's incredible. But if not, he's a guy that you would imagine with his connection to the program and just what what he's done at the high school level is – one of those that's going to be super bought in to preparing that team and and getting them where they need to be on the practice field. So you need you need those guys, right? That that that's a very important thing, and um, especially for a program that appears to have just uh, cleaned the slate to a certain degree on a lot of guys that were gobbling up scout team snaps this year. You guys will love this. Take a quick look at his video. Uh, we have it at All Sooners uh, highlight video. He intercepts a pass. And runs it back 63 yards for a touchdown, and he's he's head, he catches it like this, and he makes this one move. He's heading toward the sideline, and he makes this one move and cuts back. I swear to God, it looks exactly like what his dad did against Texas in 2000 in that uh, the 63-14 game. He, I think it was Chris Sims. I think it was Chris Sims who threw that interception, and then fate just kind of melted when when he tried to tackle Rocky. Rocky put that one move on and that juke move. Looks just like him. I saw that and I was like, no way. It just it jumped out <laughs> at me. It was how similar it was. But yeah, man, I'm sure that uh, Rocky, you know, he posted on Twitter. And I don't think Rocky posts on Twitter very much at all, you guys. But he posted on Twitter how proud he was of his of his son and how happy he was he was getting a shot at his old school. Yeah, going to be really, really cool to see uh, how he does and if he can carve out any playing time for himself. And, you know, obviously there was once upon a time – not that long ago where, you know, different position and all that completely. But, you know, Drake Stoops was a PWO and everybody kind of, you know, looked at the name and, you know, he's just a preferred walk-on. And look at the role he carved out for himself over time. And he's a, a key part of the team. There's no, again, different position completely, but there's no saying that Case and Kalmas can't do that. Don't just discount him always oh, just because the name Venable's doing his guy a favor, like, you know, Watch out for him. You know, we'll, we'll see how that shakes out. And again, like who said, go check out his tape on uh, com. See what he uh, what he looks like a little bit. Yeah. Hey, Josh, real quick. As long as I threw out Chris Sims. I was about yeah. to say. <laughs> and, we're ta- and we're talking. Uh, tough week for Chris Sims. Tough week for Chris Sims. As long as we're talking about Chris Sims and 2000 Sooners. Let's talk about. <laughs> this was in 01, but Roy Williams and the Superman play. Roy Williams yesterday, just yesterday, gets inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame. What a great honor, right? <laughs> he gets into his Twitter spat with, of all people, Chris Sims. 
whose life he wrecked, whose college football <laughs> career he immortalized in the wrong fashion. He posterized him in the greatest way possible. Him and Chris Sims get into a spat on Twitter, and it was glorious. Chris Sims comes out with, uh, you know, what did he say? I, I led the Big 12 Conference in passer efficiency rating two years in a row, and I didn't eat my way out of the NFL. What did you just say? To Roy Williams, you said that? Oh my! And Roy, of course, took a took a flamethrower to him. Um, that was good Twitter stuff right there. That's good Red River hate from a play. What, dude? He destroyed you <laughs> on the football field. He also, where do you get off coming at Roy Williams of all people of yeah. eight billion people on the planet? You went at Roy Williams, the one guy who did literally destroyed you. That's just unbelievable to me. It's just funny too the the notion of. The implication that like Roy Williams was an NFL bust or something, as if he didn't right. play for a decade, go to several <laughs> Pro Bowls, have a way more successful, way more successful <laughs> NFL career than Chris Sims did. It was a wild move on his part to go NFL route. It it's uh it's not OU Texas, but to me there there's like a short list right now of uh, this feels like if at any point. 20 years from now, Spencer Sanders tweets at Ronnie Perkins about anything like it's not permitted. Uh, this feels like if Brock Purdy decides he wants to pop off toward Perrion Winfrey in any way in 20 years. Uh, no, you, you almost died on that field at his hands. I, I don't understand. It was, it's been a real weird, weird week on Twitter between the Desmond Howard, Cardell Jones thing, the Roy Williams, Chris Sims thing. I was like, what, what is getting into these alums? Feisty. <laughs> Feisty rivalries never die. You keep it going forever. Um, obviously, there was the whole, if you want to backtrack to championship weekend, the whole Matt Leinert USC tweets and just getting harassed by OU fans. Uh, it's been a pretty good week for OU on Twitter the last like uh, several days uh, after USC's collapse last Friday night, uh, which brought delight to many, many an Oklahoma fan uh, as well. Um, do you guys want to talk about that real quick? The playoff is set. TCU's in there. Heisman finalists are set. Any reaction to that? Obviously, no Oklahoma ties uh, this year with the way the season went, but you feel good with how everything was? The big one is Stetson Bennett. People are not crazy about him being a finalist, which is fair. I wouldn't say there's no Oklahoma ties to the Heisman. <laughs> okay, well, you know what I mean. There's some Oklahoma ties that are, that are quite painful to a lot of people around here. He was that guy. Caleb Williams was that guy this year. Um, hurt his leg, hurt his hamstring. I think when he broke free on that run, you know, he hopped over a dude and and knocked another one down and ran past three more. And when he finished the run, he was like, "I've had enough," and he just took a knee basically on the sideline. And I re- I I saw something in him at that moment that was like, that didn't look right. He he quit on that run way too early. Hurt his hamstring. Lincoln Riley said it was significant. Um, he ended up playing not very well the rest of the the final three quarters of that game. What kind of dumb move was it to leave him, leave your franchise guy in when they're getting blown out in the fourth quarter? And he was just, he couldn't run. And he wasn't, when you're, when you're Caleb Williams and you can't run, you can't throw very well. You know, you can't just sit back there in the pocket and pick people apart. He needs to be able to move to maximize his abilities. Lincoln Riley left him in and he got the hell beat out of him in the fourth quarter. It was kind of hard to watch. So that was weird. Um, Max Duggan, on the other hand, down in uh, Arlington, puts the team on his back. They're down 11 points in the fourth quarter. He's, he gets scores the touchdown. He gets the 
the field goal, obviously the touchdown, the two-point conversion. He does it all himself. And then Sonny Dykes gets down on the goal line in overtime and gives the ball to someone else, someone not named Max Duggan. I didn't understand that that reasoning. Wasn't a big, huge thing. They lost. They lost the championship, but they're still in the playoff. So they got a bigger fish to fry. But yeah, I mean, a championship weekend was a blast. Yeah, really good game. Even even that like Purdue Michigan game that was pretty lopsided score wise. It was a hey Jeff Brom stop kicking field goals and this thing might be a a pretty fun game. So uh, yeah, that's interesting. I, I thought and I know Hoove is the highest been voter here. Can't talk about his ballot anything like that. But I, I thought it was pretty clear with the four finalists we got that Hoove it, you, you get three spots on the ballot, right? Yeah. So to me that was pretty clear that a lot of people are voting in whatever order they want, Caleb Williams and Max Duggan, one and two, and that it's pretty wide open behind that, which is why I think that uh, in Big Ten country, C.J. Stroud probably got a lot of love. Uh, around the SEC and the South, Stetson Bennett probably got a lot of love. And and the finalists are determined by kind of just that natural break in the points and the voting. And I think that just kind of showed you that uh, there is still regional disagreement, but I think everyone was pretty on board with the top two, and there weren't really three or four great um, Heisman candidates, when you think of what, what, you know, Heisman moments, things like that, that, that have kind of dictated the narrative over the last decade. Cause a, a lot of the guys like Blake Corum running back in Michigan, incredible year, but misses the most important part of the year due to an injury, not his fault. Right. Bryce young, all, all of his, um, Houdini acts and all that stuff is on the worst Alabama team we've had in a couple of, you know what I mean? So it just felt like there was no clear number three, which is why yeah. I think those two kind of split in the voting and how they ended up as finalists alongside Williams and Duggan. Hendon Hooker as well um, gets yeah. hurt at the end of the season, has an unbelievable year. There was a handful of guys that did that. Uh, and I'll be surprised. I'll be slightly surprised if it's not some combination of Max and Caleb or Caleb and Max in the one, two spot followed up by those other guys. I won't be shocked. I won't be, I will be slightly surprised, but I won't be shocked if somebody like Stetson Bennett wins it as a, I don't think that's going to happen because I think a lot of voters have voted for guys who aren't, you know, they're, they're that number one guy on the number one team or the quarterback on the number one team kind of kind of personality. Uh, and they don't go on to big, huge NFL careers and NFL stardom, and they don't validate those voters' decisions to vote for them, right? There's been a handful of guys over the years that we look at and we say, man, people are saying, I wish I hadn't voted for him. I have buyer's remorse on that player that I voted for. I think Stetson Bennett might be one of those guys where it's like he's the quarterback on the number one team. He's got 15 first round draft picks around him and uh, he's, you know, not going to have much of an NFL career. We, we think we we project and you're maybe it's kind of a lifetime achievement award for him. I would hope that's what it is. I would hope there's not a bunch of um, Heisman voters out there saying Stetson Bennett is my guy, but that would not shock me. It would surprise me, but it wouldn't shock me. The most amazing little, I don't know if stat's the right word for it, but little nugget that I saw yesterday that blew my mind and it's still shaking me today is Lamar Jackson won the 2016 Heisman Trophy. That's pre-Baker Mayfield, folks. 2016. That's a long time ago. Stetson Bennett is a finalist this year. They are the same age. They were born the same year, 1997. (laughs) 2016 and 2022. Fathom that. Let that muster in your brain a little bit because that'll blow your mind hole if you think about that for too long. Um, One quick thought, too, and you guys can call me an idiot if you think I am. 
uh, this is assuming Caleb Williams wins the Heisman, which I think he probably will. Why would he play next year? Should he opt out of the entire season? Because he's number one overall pick in 2023. That's a lock. Or 2024, I guess it would be. Is there any reason for him to play next season at all? If you're Carl Williams, the answer is no. <laughs> right. If you're Caleb Williams, yeah, I think you want to play some football. Well, the reason is uh, the USC NIL machine is up and running and uh, seems to have benefited him very well based off of what we've seen. And, w- and we know w- what was the very famous, infamous uh, bio in Caleb Williams you know, on yeah. Twitter forever. It's, uh, I'm not a businessman. I'm a businessman. Uh, being on college game day every week and big new kickoff and all that stuff. That would be why you play next year to continue your marketing apparatus. Cause yeah, I mean, you win the Heisman just from a draft standpoint, if you shut it down, you're probably still gonna be the number one guy. Beats can't give him any headphones if he's not playing college football. I mean, they can, but they have to cut their ties with him when he goes to the pros. They're not allowed to carry that over from college to the pros. So I'm interested in it. Uh, I think he'll probably end up playing as well, but he has probably the strongest argument that there's ever been to just opt out of a season completely. So we'll, I don't know. It's interesting to me because he would be number one right now, probably, uh, let alone playing a whole nother year. So we'll see what, how that shakes out. All right. We waited long enough. Who Baker Mayfield's on the Rams. Uh, he was released by the Panthers earlier this week, was claimed on waivers by the Rams. Who, of course, Matt Stafford's out for probably the season. Maybe could come back, I guess, theoretically, but probably the season. They need a guy. Insert Baker Mayfield is going to be wearing number 17, which is so weird. And an opportunity to basically have an audition here, right, for just kind of the rest of the league for for five, six weeks or whatever. Yeah, Stafford's out uh, for the rest of the season. They, they've announced that. Um, their backup has a, has a neck injury right now that he's questionable for Thursday night's game against the Raiders. You're going down, Ryan. You're going down. I hope. Uh, and their third string guy is a guy that's kicked around. He's very young, but he's he's inexperienced. He's he's raw. Um, he looks good when he plays, but he looks like he's got a long way to go to be an NFL quarterback. So Baker Mayfield, to me, this is a win win situation. He gets to get coached by Sean McVay. He gets to study from Matthew Stafford, learn from Matthew Stafford, fellow Texas high school quarterback stud, right? And the Rams uh, pick up a guy who is uh, experienced. It's a perfect, it's a perfect fit, perfect scenario. When that went down, when they cut him, I said that'd be too good to be true for if the Rams picked him up. The, the stupid 49ers will probably get him right. I'm a Rams fan. I have to hate the 49ers. Would have been a great situation for him to go to San Francisco with Jimmy G breaking his foot and Trey Lance is out. That's obviously not a long term situation, even as a backup. So. Who knows what uh, what they're going to do? But that's a Super Bowl contending team. I was hoping that Baker would get a shot at some you know playoff contender, maybe get a get some snaps in the postseason, come in in a situation where he can help his team out in the playoffs. That's not going to happen with the Rams. They put all their chips on the table last year and cashed out, won that Super Bowl. But uh, yeah, I'm just saying it's perfect uh, perfect scenario for him for Baker and the team right now. Yeah, one of the big factors when he was moving to Carolina is that we were like, yeah, Matt Rule's going to get canned, and it was going to take something incredible for that not to happen. That didn't happen. Matt Rule is canned. Uh, you don't have to worry about that with the Rams, right? McVay's going to be there until he doesn't want to be there anymore. So for Baker, this is a short audition to a guy that's not probably going to walk in and, and be handed a starting job anywhere across the league next year. And so if the 
what I've kind of talked about is that if you're looking at GMs around the league and they're wondering if he can be a backup, if he has the temperament, all that stuff to be a backup. Okay, well, the, the Rams are going to have the rest of this year to get him in the building, see how he interacts with people, see how that firsthand and if they like him, especially with the questions around Matt Stafford's elbow and all that stuff. It would be a no-brainer, I feel like, if the Rams like him to bring Baker back next year as a backup and and then you have a um, so, someone in the hole that's not your typical backup quarterback, right? He's a number one overall pick, so he has a talent ceiling, all, all that stuff that y- you could turn to if Stafford's not healthy. And, and if not, um, it, it's one thing that if Baker comes in and is on his best behavior and he gets a stamp of approval from the Rams organization, I think that'll carry a lot of weight for other GMs in the offseason uh, who might be looking at bolstering their backup quarterback. So I, I think for Baker, it's a win-win, and uh, it'll just be fascinating to see if he actually plays on Thursday night on about a 48-hour turnaround. They, yeah, they gave him the playbook and said, study yeah. this on the plane on the way out here. <laughs> so they're expecting him to at least be ready to play. They uh, screwed up our draft pick is what's happened. The, the Rams are complicit in screwing up the Raiders, playing their way out of a top-10 draft pick right now, which is just an absolute oh disaster. Yeah, at least the Rams, if this doesn't work out for, for L.A., they get a compensatory draft pick. I think it'll be a third-round pick. We'll take it. Thank you, Baker, for your service. Yeah, it's amazing to me that he was picked up on Tuesday in my turn and play on a Thursday. That is outrageous. Um, so we'll see if that sounds like it's going to happen. And it much certainly like, adds. Much huh. like Lincoln Riley's quarterback system, Sean McVay's quarterback system is very quarterback-friendly. Yeah. So he could learn – 18 plays that he can study, work him into the package, and off he goes. I think he'd be ready. He's a smart kid. It, it certainly, at the very least, adds some interest to no disrespect to either of you guys' teams. Um, a Thursday night football game that does not have a lot of interest nationally um, certainly uh, adds some spice to it. And it's definitely a win-win for Baker. I mean, sitting on the bench and rotting in Carolina was not going to do you any good. So, I mean, the fact that he got an opportunity – to go actually start football games, even if it's just a handful here, four or five, whatever the Rams have left, try to prove yourself, look good, be like, hey, look what happens when I'm at a, I have a real head coach and I have some real players, you know, I can still be a good quarterback. This is an audition for him. Now, if he goes and stinks it up, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. He needs to play well. well. This is a big month uh, for Baker Mayfield. So we'll see how that shakes out. I, I look forward to seeing him. I hate to say, you guys know I'm a big Baker admirer. He's going to stink it up because that offensive line the Rams have put out there this year is absolute trash. <laughs> that's why. That's why. Uh, that's why everybody's hurt. That's why all their quarterbacks are beat to hell. They can't. Uh, they can't stay healthy because they keep getting hit on every play. No Cooper Cup too to throw to. I bet he'd like to go to L.A. and have Cooper Cup to throw to. He's out. Yeah. Got an ankle surgery, so that sucks. I wish Odell Beckham was still there just for the, for the <laughs> drama. <laughs> the drama. Um, but yeah, so we'll, we'll see. That's going to be fun on Thursday night. Uh, Baker wearing another uniform again. The 17 is just so weird. I'm not, I'm not on board with that at all. So we'll see how that shakes out, um, here this week, Thursday night football Baker against Ryan's Raiders. All right. Wrapping up the show here with a little bit of basketball men's hoops. Obviously they won the tournament down there in Kissimmee, Florida, really good week. And on the cusp of maybe being ranked, they go into Philadelphia, play Villanova, who's just 2-5, and five, but they got their guy back, the future lottery pick back. They certainly looked a lot better than a 2-5 and five team. Porter Moser said this week that the atmosphere at Wells Fargo Center was electric and that they handled it pretty well. They led for most of the game, but let it slip away late. They did bounce back and win last night. Ron and I were in the building at the Lloyd Noble Center 
for them to beat uh, UMKC after it was kind of an ugly first 20 minutes. They turned it on in the second half. I don't know. Right now, it feels like this Oklahoma team, and going off of last year as well with Porter Moser, they really have a hard time not letting teams that they should blow out hang in games. But they also seem to kind of play up to teams that they have no business hanging with. You think about last year, almost beating Kansas at Fog, beating Baylor in the baseball tournament. They're kind of a weird team. They kind of play down to their competition and up to their competition, which is could be a good thing, but also uh, a bad thing. You guys were in the gym, so I'm going to let you analyze it. But I am going to throw out two two words for you. Grant Sherfield. Oh, my God. Six of yeah. eight at Villanova from three-point range. And then five of six last night. The one he missed, one of the ones he missed at Villanova could have tied the game, sent the game to overtime. So bad timing there to get your second miss. But, man, that dude, 21 points at Villanova, 24 last night against uh, against Kansas City. The ruse. Um, that dude, is he going to make his way onto the first team, all Big 12 team? He is, he is carrying this team right now in a manner that would suggest that's possible. Yeah, that, I mean, that's possible for him. I think the problem is that when you play the way that Porter Moser wants them to play, which is just excruciatingly slow offensively, he, uh, just refusal to allow them to play with any pace whatsoever. It's like he doesn't trust them. Um, I think that caused you to play up and play down because this is still not a good offensive team. Sherfield can shoot. Uzon's figuring stuff out. Bijan Cortez is coming along. But overall, the way they're constructed, Tanner Groves is still too up and down. Like This just feels like a team that um, last year was a lot of transfers trying to cobble it in. This year, it's a lot of young pieces. So that makes it more encouraging, right? Is that you're, you've got freshmen and sophomores that still have this growth potential, but they had a almost seven minute scoreless from the field blurb in the first half at Villanova. They should have been up double digits. It should have been fine. They didn't, they blew it. They were in a game. They can't win those close games. They've proven time and time again, that if they play good teams, they lose. And they shouldn't have been anywhere near, anywhere near any kind of basketball game with UMKC. Uh, they went on a 13-1 run in the first half, for heaven's sake. So it's a young team. This feels like they're hurtling straight back toward the NIT because once they get into Big 12 play, I think we're going to see a lot of those Villanova performances where it looks good, it looks fun, and yeah. you look up at the scoreboard at the end of the game and it's another loss. Milos Uzan is awesome. Um, that's the bright spot right now. I mean, Grant Sherfield is great too, but he's not on any kind of a long-term you know, right. That that's, you know, Uzan's a freshman, right? So you, you can be excited about what he's going to be right now. It feels they got to get more out of Joe Bama seal. He's a non-factor right now. Yeah, and zero points last night. Yeah. He was picked up to be one of the guys on this team. And I really like Joe Bama. Like the little bit we've seen, he has really long arms. Like he just, I don't know if it's more on coaching or him or, or I'm just saying in general, they need, they need more. They need him to be a bigger part of the team. And I was surprised that Otega Oa hasn't been, as much in the fold as he was earlier, um, kind of for the same reason, just really athletic. Like it feels like if you're going to be as good as you can be, he needs to be a little more in the uh, in the fold. There are right spots. Bishan Cortez looks pretty comfortable. Like I said, Uzan Sherfield, but uh, there's a lot of elements that feel like the same as last year, which is you know not that they were just awful last year, but like Ryan said, NIT team couldn't finish close games against good teams. They'll uh, if they want this year to be different. Some things got to change uh, here soon. So we'll see how that goes. Big one with number nine, Arkansas, on Saturday in Tulsa. Who's going to be there? We're doing a flip around. Ryan and I will be at home, and who's going to be at the game at the BOK Center? That would get, that game was electric last year. It was basically all Arkansas fans. Oklahoma got a big win. It was like the signature win of the early part of Porter Moser's tenure. 
Arkansas is really good again. It's going to be a lot of Arkansas fans again, I'm sure. We'll see uh, how Oklahoma handles that on Saturday. Yeah, tip-off is at noon. I'll be there at the BOK Center. Um, ESPN2 has the game. If you're not going to be at the BOK, you can watch on ESPN2. But, yeah, Arkansas, what are they, 8-1 and one right now, number nine in the country? 8-1. Yeah. They're really good. Um, they've, got a, they've got a good team this year. Uh, Oklahoma's going to need to play great. And, but here's the deal. We saw it last year. If Oklahoma plays great and wins that game, what does that do for you? Just puts another nice little little notch in your belt, basically. It doesn't get you in the NCAA tournament. It's not big enough on its own. They're going to have to play some good basketball. thing about it is this can springboard Oklahoma. This can't. It, it didn't last year, but it can theoretically springboard Oklahoma into a solid Big 12 season. Yeah, and that's about, I think, all you can hope for. Unless, because uh, again, the last two games, Sherfield's shot great from behind the arc, and he's the only one. So that was another key against that Arkansas team last year is that it wasn't just one guy that was hitting from deep that helped that out because um, Arkansas wants to get out and run. And Oklahoma showed last year that they can get into the half court and cause some problems defensively. It's always going to fall on the other end of the floor, the offense, and see if that can get going for the Sooners to pull this big upset. Wrapping up here with some women's basketball on the way out. They won their fourth straight game on Sunday, beat Ole Miss uh, by 10 points. Ole Miss is pretty good. They only had one loss coming in. So that's a nice home win for the Sooners. They got back into the top 25. They should have never fallen out. I said that last week. At number 23, you know, it's a good, solid non-con win. I was over at uh, um, at Boyd Noble Center last week talking to Jenny Braun, checking a couple of players. They all kind of admitted, like, this is an opportunity to kind of, I think Nevaeh Tot said, get our swagger back a little bit. If we can go play well and beat Ole Miss, and they did. So we'll see if that springboards them. They have some very winnable games the next two Sundays. They should be 9-1 and one going into a big game with Florida at the end of the month. But, um, you know, Jenny Bronchek's team doing doing some good things. They got to prove it against good teams and prove it consistently. But, you know, so far so good. It's a weird schedule, isn't it? Uh, Sunday against Robert Morris, Sunday against Southern. And then uh, the following Wednesday, December 21st, they play Florida down out in Charlotte in the uh, Jumpman Invitational. So The men do too, same day. Yeah, uh, big big opportunity for the men and the women, but uh, certainly the women because Big 12 play starts the 10 days after that, and uh, Big 12's not going to be any easier this year. Yeah, they, they need that swagger back though because just kind of look through it. Um, Texas has not been what anyone thought they were going to be. They're sitting at four and four right now. Baylor's already dropped a couple of uh, non-conference games there as well. And, and so while I expect those two teams to get rounded into shape by the time Big 12 play rolls around, like Kansas is the great unbeaten team right now who Oklahoma just coolly dispatched of in last year's Big 12 tournament. So I do think getting that confidence back is huge just because – no one's expecting this team to be a juggernaut, go unbeaten, anything like that. But when you get beat the way you got beat against Utah, when it's the exact same team, I could definitely see a, oh, God, here we go again, flashback to Baylor in the Big 12 tournament and, and Notre Dame in the NCAA tournament. So the more distance you can put from that, I think it's just good for the team's confidence because there are situations where they weren't hitting early and then they shot themselves out of the game. But that can still kind of ding on your psyche when you're hanging 40-plus point losses. For sure. And like I said, they, they're back uh, Sunday at home against Robert Morris and Southern. So probably a couple of handy wins the next couple of Sundays, you would hope. Um, recommend people pay attention to that team. They're a lot of fun, and uh, they're going to be in the mix. Should be a tournament team uh, this year, you would uh, you would assume. So that'll be coming up in uh, on Sunday and then the following Sunday as well. So 
that's it for us. Uh, this is a packed show. We had a lot to get through, and I think we hit most of it. We'll be back next Sunday reacting to whatever else happens in the transfer portal. Before then, I'm sure more will uh, occur in the next seven days. And also, we'll continue over the course of the month to set the scene for the Cheez-It Bowl, which we're uh, going to be making the trip down there for. Looking forward to it. Uh, All Sooners is hitting Orlando, hitting Disney um, for the weekend, and it's going to be a uh, it's going to be an adventure. Hopefully the weather's nice for us down there in Orlando. So that's it for us. Thank you so much for listening, as always. Again, we'll be back next Wednesday wrapping up whatever else happens in Oklahoma country. You can catch that show on iTunes, Spotify, Google, iHeart, wherever you get your podcast. If you have an Amazon-able device, just say Alexa, play the All Sooners podcast. Also post on our website, allsooners.com. Click on the playlist on your phone, your tablet, or your computer. That's it for now. For Ryan Chapman and John Hoover. I'm Josh Calloway. We'll catch you guys next time.